Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. So if you're like me, you probably like to hear positive feedback from people about the actions that you take. But what if that positive feedback is not accurate? And what if it's taking you down a path that's not ultimately helping you become the person and the leader that you want to be? Today, we're going to be talking with someone who is going to be encouraging us about the benefit of critical feedback, and he's going to be giving us some key areas to focus on to make sure that we are the person that we want to be so that we can make the impact that we want to have in this world. We'll talk a little bit more about our guest in just a second, but first, do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the mind scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today is a well-regarded talent agent and career advisor. He's the president and founding partner of If Management, as well as the president of the Montag Group, which is a premier agency that focuses on talent consulting, content, media, and speaking. The Montag Group represents over 250 of today's top journalists, broadcast executives, and media personalities. He has a new book out called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. Here is Steve Hers. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Josh. Excited to be here. I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? I'm ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? So probably the most profound thing that happened professionally for me was in the summer of 1990. I was working for a law firm as a summer associate and the uh, managing partner of the program, a guy named Turner Smith, came in at the last day and did not offer me employment at the firm for the next year, which is kind of the custom. And he was brutally honest with me and he told me he didn't think I was cut out to be a lawyer. Hmm. And that honest feedback that he gave me changed the entire trajectory of my life. And it uh, continues to have reverberations. And it was kind of the basis of the title of my book. Which we're going to get into in just a few minutes here. The next question I have for you is, use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? 
I think a leader is a recruiter of other people. A leader is a retainer of those people. And a leader is an empowerer of those people. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think everybody on earth should be asking themselves, what what are my blind spots and what could I be doing better today than I did yesterday? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? It's an oldie but a goodie. Probably my favorite book I've ever read on any of these uh, related topics. Uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I think the most important thing people can do in terms of being a leader is to learn how they communicate. And it's something I can talk about later, but it would be to understand how they're coming across and what kind of impression they're making with people they're interacting with every day. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think it's better to ask why not, because um, that way there's no limiting factor to your life. Well, Steve, we are here today to talk about your new book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer, Using Authority, Warmth, and Energy to Get Exceptional Results. Now, you alluded to this earlier, but there's a story behind the title of your book, Don't Take Yes for an Answer. So could you expand on that a little bit and talk about how that kind of drove your thinking and eventually drove to the development of this book? Sure. Well, like I said, you know, 30 years ago, when I was first getting into the working world as a um, at that point, thought I was going to be an attorney. I worked for this law firm, Curtis Malay Prevost, which is then and still is at on Park Avenue in, in Manhattan. And I had, I think, the very good fortune of coming across this gentleman named Turner Smith, who was then the managing partner of the Summer Associate Program, who could have just taken the easy way out in not giving me that offer and said, oh, well, you know, we just didn't have room for everybody or we loved you, but it just didn't work out. For whatever reason, he could have made any number of excuses, but he chose not to, and he chose to be brutally honest with me. And because of that feedback that he gave me, uh, it, it really like I said, change the trajectory of my life and, and also change the way I looked at things. I, I realized how many people who are blissfully, uh, when I say blissfully, I mean that facetiously, unaware of the real reasons why they didn't achieve what they thought they could achieve, whether it was not getting a job, not getting a promotion, not getting a customer, not retaining a customer, not getting the right relationship that you want, and, and not realizing there was something within your control that you could have done differently. And he gave me that gift, and I've tried to pass that along to others along the way. So what did your journey look like after that? You come to this realization, this valuable information, and it probably didn't feel great to receive it at first. But how did, how did that begin to change how you think about things and look at how to develop your career moving forward? So you know, after it became obvious to me that he was right and I didn't really have what it took to be successful to the level I wanted to be as an attorney, I shifted my focus towards the things that I liked in life, which was journalism and media and sports. And those were the things that I had been involved in when I was an undergrad at the University of Michigan and eventually was lucky enough to be able to get a job at a, uh, at a small uh, sports management firm out on Long Island after law school. And then didn't last there very long and then ended up very luckily getting a job at a bigger sports management firm, a company that was well regarded in its day called Athletes and Artists, and spent several years there. And then, you know, learned enough about the industry, probably not enough, but maybe I was blind to what I didn't know, hmm. and eventually decided to go out and, and I'm giving you the abbreviated version. 
it's the longer versions in the book, but I eventually decided to start my own talent agency in the sports and uh, news representation area representing on-air broadcasters, which seemed like a um, kind of a good thing for me in that it encompassed a lot of the things that I was interested in, like I said, media, sports, and it did have a little bit of the elements of the law that I, that I was pretty good at negotiating contracts and, and developed a career around that. And today, your career is focused on working with people, helping people succeed, representing people. And your book is really focused on on these three ideas of authority, warmth, and energy. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about those. But essentially, what you're saying is, given that everything else is equal, it is the way that you are able to connect with people, the way that you're able to interact with people that really makes a difference. And these three aspects of authority, warmth, and energy are key to the way that you communicate and connect with people. That's exactly right. I think if you really think about it, the research will show you that your technical proficiency at your job is a very, very small correlating and causal factor in your success. Not to say that you don't have to be good at your job, but that once you get to the job that you want, even in a technical field like engineering or let's just even, I always say dentistry, that most other people who are competing with you in that field are good enough at the technical parts of it on the bell curve. So that's not going to be the deciding factor. So what is the deciding factor? Literally, it's making people believe in you. It's making people trust you. It's making people like you and making people feel inspired. And that's basically what awe is shorthand for. It's the ability stylistically to communicate with authority, to have a good voice, to have a good inflection in your voice, to dress properly, to have good body language so people take you seriously. You could be the best at what you do, but if you don't communicate it, no one's going to take you seriously. They're not going to think you're competent, even if you are. Mm-hmm. And then the second aspect of it is trust. You know, Warmth is just this big catch-all phrase for trust. If you don't have a connection with someone, if we don't trust you, then we don't want to be in a relationship with you, whether that's to be your doctor, your employee, employee, your lawyer, your pharmacist, your friend, anything, your taxi driver. I mean, there has to be a level of trust. I mean, when you, again, I live in New York City, but presumably that yellow taxi, they, they all have to have a license. They all have to have a, a medallion. There's a certain level of trust that you know the person was put through some sort of training that that yellow stands for something you can trust. And in that same way, we have to communicate that with our warmth which I can get into the granularity of that later, but just as a broad overview, if you don't have that connection with someone, then they're not going to want to be in a relationship with you professionally or personally, but the book's really more about professional. The last piece is the energy piece. It's, it's you know, think about it. It's if, if you can't, Michael Bloomberg's uh, implosion of his campaign was, you know, in part because he just couldn't energize anybody. We just felt like, then this guy was a mayor of a city that I thought he did a great job here, but he just really couldn't energize anybody. So it, it's not it's not just your energy that's important, but it's also can you energize other people? How do people feel? What kind of a feeling are you giving them with your communication? And if you would connect the pieces here real quick, how, how does this experience that you had when you were younger, this idea of not taking yes for an answer, how does this connect with this all framework that you've developed? Well, that that in in particular doesn't necessarily connect immediately because what I think is that the idea of don't take yes for an answer, this mentality, it has to be the underpinning for any change. Mm. If you surround yourself and you surround yourself 
parenthetically and metaphorically with yourself who never questions yourself in terms of if you don't think there's anything you could be improving upon, if you're listening to all the hype, so to speak, then why would you ever think you need to get better at anything? So I think that the uh, the premise of the book is that that has to be the the underlying precondition for you to even get to the idea of working on your own awe. You mentioned earlier that it's really important for people, especially leaders, but people in general, to understand how they come across to people. And when when you're talking about that, are you really referring to the warmth end of things or does it really connect back to this entire all framework of authority, warmth, and energy? I, I think it, it, it applies to all three. You, you could have a communication flaw that would be so great in terms of your lack of authority. Let's say you just had a, a horrible voice or you always looked away from people when you spoke or you always covered your mouth when you spoke, that that could be such a horrible flaw in your authority that it would really, really detract from your ability to be successful. And you could have horrible energy. You could have horrible warmth. So it, it could happen in any of the three categories. I'm saying in the book that you really want to be aware of, of having some degree of skill and excellence in all three of them. And in the book, you dedicate two chapters to each of these areas, really addressing the topic and giving people tips on how to improve or turn up these different areas. As you've interacted with people in the past or throughout your career, are you able to identify any one of these that seems to be the most lacking or does it depend from person to person? The area where people can focus on most as the the biggest needle mover, so to speak. I think it depends on the person. So I I really wouldn't be able to give you a blanket statement, but I do think most people really do underestimate how much their voice can can hurt them. And a lot of people say, well, I don't like my voice. It's a very common refrain. I'm sure you've heard it too. And then they don't do anything about it. And, you know, I've quoted this many times and it's in the book, Dr. Mort Cooper, who wrote a book called Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. He says, your voice is your second face. It's the thing that makes the second biggest impression on people. Now, you wouldn't walk outside with a giant piece of egg on your face, would you? You'd, 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 you'd wash your face. You'd, you'd clean that off if you knew it was there. But you might be doing that if you have a really very obvious vocal weakness that could be improved. So before we get into these three different areas and maybe some things that people can begin thinking about and and becoming introspective when it comes to these three things, how did you begin to develop this framework? Is this something that you sat down and began to think through or did it just kind of come to your attention over time as you were working with people and looking at your own life? Well, the, the reason I decided to write the book and how the framework worked out was it's it's really one of the things that we've tried to do for our broadcasting clients here over the years is give them constructive feedback. Those that really were open to it and and, and, and really were really interested in it, but we would offer that to them. And the framework that I felt worked was really to look at their voice, look at their body language and all the things that I talk about in the book. And I think if, you know, other people have called authority strength, you know, there's a, there's obviously I'm not inventing these words. I'm not inventing these, these concepts at all. They've been out there in the public for, you know, hundreds of years. What I, what I've tried to do is just take something and package it in a way that's very easy for you to memorize and easy to remember and easy to access for yourself in the moment. That's, that's what I think is, is unique here. But I, I think over time, you know, when you think about authority, that is a key component to why someone on air 
you know, why you, you turn on the news in this moment of right now, of, uh, right? Well, I know this won't air for a, a while, but as we're taping this, the coronavirus, you know, this is when you turn on the news, you want to hear someone that's going to make you feel like, oh, this is an authority. I should, it's almost like the CDC of the news. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was very obvious to me that that was a quality that people would turn on a newscaster for. The warmth was the connection that people felt like if they didn't feel connected to the person, they wouldn't really want to watch the news. And then the same thing was with energy. So my insight was why can't those qualities that make for a good on-air personality be applicable to the average person working in a job that is not facing the public? And then what I talk about in the book is this distinction between public speaking and private speaking. What you know, the newscaster does is public speaking, but what the dentist does is private speaking, but yet those same exact qualities will be a large contributor to each of their success. It's a very transferable thing. Yeah, and it's really interesting. As you just alluded, we're having this conversation a few months before your book is released, and there are any number of things that could have happened between now and then, but there are always examples of people who either do a really good job with developing and showing their authority, warmth, and energy, and then people who don't do a great job of it. Is there a way that we can set ourselves up best to learn from other examples so that we don't become the example ourselves, especially the negative example? I think, first of all, you, you really have to try to figure out a way to diagnose your own strengths and weaknesses. And I think the book hopefully will be the equivalent of a diagnostic communication x-ray for the reader. And I think that's probably, in my view, the most value anybody would get out of reading the book is getting that first time x-ray for themselves of a full body scan of your communication skills. You know, I'm obviously speaking in, in again, in metaphors. I apologize. I tend to do that, but hopefully <laughs> you can go along with the example. So if you had a broken uh, rib and you were having a hard time breathing and you just didn't know why, and, and you were finally got an x-ray and they said, oh, your rib's broken. Now we know what we can do for you. That would cause you great relief, even though you might still be in pain because you wouldn't know what the diagnosis was. The problem with most people is they're committing all of these communications foibles and communicating in a way that is not their best self. And they don't even know. They have no idea how to you know, examine themselves. So this book is really an effort to do that. So I would say that to answer your question, make your own diagnosis, read the book or find some other uh, equally valuable communication diagnosis for yourself. And then, you know, verify it with others that you trust, people that you really respect and keep asking those questions. Don't take yes for an answer. Don't accept when people say you're good or you're great. You might be good or great, but you can always be better. And what are the areas you can improve upon in these different categories? That is really the most important thing. And there's no reason to look for an equally valuable communication diagnosis because we have the answer here. And you can spend time looking around, but if you know where to go to get the answers, go ahead and do that. And I'd like to go ahead and get into a little bit of each of these areas. We can't do the full body scan today, as you said, but we can give people a taste of each of these areas. So if you would, could you just talk about some of the important elements of authority and maybe some things that people can think about as they're trying to turn up their authority? Right. So, you know, obviously we've talked a little bit about voice, so we don't have to get into too much more about that. But I, I also think one of the things that makes someone authoritative is your pacing. A lot of people speak too fast and they don't speak with any level of pausing. Now, it's okay if you speak fast, but you must inflect. And 
but by inflection, I mean varying your, your pace, varying your pitch, varying your volume. Those are the three things that you want to be aware of. So in the book, we call it PPV, uh, which stands for pay-per-view. But in this example, it's just pitch, pace, and volume. And so if you're not inflecting, then the listener doesn't know what you think is important. And you're running through stop signs all over the place. So that would really impede your authority. Also, look, I, I, I think that, you know, I'm not you know, breaking any new ground here, but dress appropriately and dress appropriately for the occasion. Get good posture. I mean, a lot of people really kill themselves professionally by being hunched over all the time and being crooked. And they sit in a chair and they're, they're like one side is halfway over. So, you know, pay attention to your posture, pay attention to your, the way you dress, pay attention to your shoes being shined. I mean, your hair being cut, your, if you're not, if you're a man to, to, to be well shaven, you know, unless you have a beard, of course, but these are the things that really can impede your authority. But most importantly, I think is, is really the inflection. It's, it's a very forgotten thing. And, you know, so many people talk and you're just so tuned out. Well, so the interesting thing is here, when it comes to your authority, you could be the, the person who knows the most and has the, the most experience in a room. But essentially what you're saying is that if you can't present yourself well, people may begin to write you off or not view you as the authority that you actually are. And so you have to present yourself with authority in order for you to even have a chance to show people your intellectual authority or any other type of authority beyond appearance, right? A hundred percent. People aren't even aware of your authority substantively in most cases, and they're going to judge you by the impression you make on them. And those two things may not be, you know, consistent. I mean, you may be the most authoritative person in the room or the most authoritative person for the job, but if you can't communicate it, it doesn't matter. So the view, those variables live completely separate from each other, shockingly to most people, but they do. So let's go to warmth next. Warmth and trust are somewhat synonymous, as you've already recommended. I think people have an idea of what warmth and trust look like. Are there things that people may not include in their understanding of warmth? And are there things that people are doing without realizing it that are maybe putting others off to them? Absolutely. We all possibly do things that put off people. I mean, including myself. So I'm I'm no better than anybody else, even if I wrote a book about it, in that we may not smile enough. Our voice may be, uh, you know, not very soothing to them. It may come across harsh to the other person. Um, You know, you, you may have a bad habit of folding your arms when you're talking to people. You may keep, you know, when you're talking to someone Sometimes at a cocktail party, their uh, stomach navel is pointed at you and you're pointed away at someone else. Your feet are pointed away. These are all subtle things that communicate to a person that I don't care about you I, or I don't care enough about you. You, you may not listen to people. You, you, know, you may not make eye contact when someone's talking to you and you may not make eye contact when you're talking to them. Just think about that for a minute. You're having a conversation with someone and you're talking to them right? They should be listening to you and you're not even making eye contact with them. Uh, that, that, that doesn't, that's crazy, right? You, you're talking to me and you don't even seem interested in me. Mm. So those are some of the things that we can be doing that can sabotage ourselves. And then when it comes to energy, that's something that can, I guess if you do it wrong, almost be once again, a, a put off. How do we think about bringing energy to others and 
entering in with an energetic presence in a way that is really beneficial to what we want to do and is beneficial to our interactions with other people. I think one of the things that I try to say in the book is that it's not just your energy that's important. It's really more important how you're energizing others. There are a myriad of ways that you could energize other people. And one of them is to be very interested in them, right? If you're just very curious about another person and you ask questions and you're genuinely interested in learning about them, people feel energized because you're paying attention to me, right? And that's one way of doing it. The other way is if you're teaching somebody something, if you show that you're generally interested and curious about the subject which you're talking about, preferably your voice will have a cadence to it that's going to be varied, as we talked about earlier, with inflection, and that's going to infect the listener with the same enthusiasm you have. So if you're not enthusiastic and you're not communicating with enthusiasm, they're not going to go along with it. So those are just some of the basic things you can do. But I think, you know, to, just to back up real quick, I think most people... And, and this is a good example of it, you and me right now, because we're on the phone as opposed to being in person. I can't read your eyes. I can't read your body language. I really have no idea, for the most part, how energized you are by what I'm saying. I, I think most of our communication, and at least a lot of what I'm trying to say in the book, is is really applicable. There, there are things, you obviously, that are very transferable to phone calls. But a lot of this is really for face-to-face like when I say private speaking one-on-one or small group communication where you can really, really take the temperature and you should be able to develop a very good thermometer of being able to take the temperature of the people in the room you're communicating with. And you should be able to make adjustments accordingly. So that is a brief summary of the awe framework, authority, warmth, and energy. Steve, the final thing that I want to ask you about today is something that you alluded to earlier on and just the idea of being open to feedback. First of all, you need to be open to feedback yourself. Second of all, as a leader, you may find yourself needing to give other people feedback. Do you have any recommendations, first of all, how to yourself become open to feedback and invite feedback? And then second of all, how do you prepare other people for feedback that is meant to help them out in the long run, even if it's not very attractive or it doesn't feel very good in the moment? I think it's a question of creating the, the, the groundwork for it, right? So I have, I have a lot of flaws, but one flaw that I think I've overcome is this culture of not being able to be given feedback because that's really the way the default culture exists in a lot of places. So the people that work with me and work for me, I think they really understand there are very few things that they couldn't say to me about what they thought of me in any particular interaction. And I, by welcoming that and by having that kind of, you know, look, I've worked with the same people for 10, 15, 20 years here. So there's a very embedded relationship. They know me really well. I know them very well. There, there's nothing they couldn't say to me. So you have that kind of dynamic that takes a life of its own, right? That's really can be very constructive. So I think you and your organization, wherever you are in it, you want to try to create that groundwork as a leader so that your people will feel very comfortable and confident coming to you and offering you feedback. And you also have to come to them and say to them once in a while, hey, look, what could I have done better? Uh, how, you know, I might send this podcast around and say, what do you think I could have done better here? And that's very much becomes a cultural norm. So once that takes root, then it really has a way of, of having a life of its own. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Are there any things from the book in particular that you would either like to reiterate or just maybe introduce 
to us that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Well, just to put a little bit of finer point on this idea that your success professionally in this world, according to the research that I uncovered that's in the book, and is that there's a only a 15% correlating and causal relationship between how good you are at your job, the technical part of your job, and your professional success. And there's a lot to unpack in there, but just for the broad purposes of this conversation, just understand that there's this whole 85% giant piece of the pie about your quote unquote soft skills that we're really not paying a lot of attention to, certainly in the academic world from first grade up through college and graduate school. And that's the hope of this book is that you'll start paying a lot more attention to putting some metrics around those things for yourself. And Steve, where can people go to find more about you and this book and the work that you do? Well, the book will be available on Amazon. You can check out the link or we have a website, www.donttakeyes.com or on Instagram at uh, steveherz66. So those are the two places um, and they can find all that information at www.donttakeyes.com. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. If you feel like you could use a diagnostic tool to help you increase your authority, warmth, and energy, I encourage you to check out Don't Take Yes for an Answer. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Those three key factors of authority, warmth, and energy are the keys to your success given that all other factors are equal. So if you want to stand out in an area where you feel like there's a lot of competition or there's a lot of noise, one of the things that you can do is make sure that you're ramping up your authority, your warmth, and your energy. The second key takeaway is connected to that energy aspect, and that is that when it comes to your energetic presence, don't focus just on having energy. Focus on how you're energizing others, and that is connected to the energy that you're giving off, but it also includes your interest in other people. If you are showing interest in other people, if you are encouraging other people, then they are going to gain more energy from being around you, which will increase your energetic presence. Speaking of which, if you like the idea of this energetic presence, I encourage you to check out episode 38, which is going to be linked in the show notes below or at lifeasleadership.com slash 094. That's going to be the interview with Anise Cavanaugh, and she has this intentional energetic presence method that she talks about on that podcast episode. And the final key takeaway is this, create a groundwork and a culture for feedback. And the way you can start doing this is by inviting feedback from others. And you can figure out in your context who the appropriate people are to invite feedback from. You don't necessarily want to invite it from all around, or at least if you do, you want to make sure you do it in appropriate ways. But create that culture of feedback to encourage people to be able to speak up and speak into other people's lives in a way that ultimately helps that individual and the organization to succeed. Now, if you've ever wanted to be the go-to, whether it's in your industry or in your organization or on your team, one thing I encourage you to do is come back at the beginning of next week because we're going to have someone on the podcast whose focus is to help people be the go-to wherever they are. This is going to be something that no matter whether you're thinking from an organizational perspective or an individual perspective is going to be valuable to you. So I hope you'll come back then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.